0: Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barbalay, and this evening I have the pleasure of talking with John Eikenberry, who is the creator of the How To AI and Alife document. John, for people not familiar with your background, can you please discuss how you got interested in artificial intelligence and artificial life? Well,
1: it started when I was at university. I studied psychology and philosophy for the most part, and I got heavily into um, Heidegger and other... um, philosophy of the mind related to topics, and it eventually led me around to one professor who kind of really got me into the whole idea of artificial intelligence and how it applied to my philosophy work. Due to some basic decisions and not going on in philosophy, I decided that, and I always liked computers, so I decided that I would make the switch over into computers by going into artificial intelligence, as it kind of seemed like a nice unification of my interest. And so that's how I kind of ended up going into it. AI and then that kind of went from
0: there. The how to document relates specifically to open source projects. So uh, how did you become interested in open source?
1: Well, about a year before I started studying AI, I started using um, Linux quite a bit. And as I was then went on to the university this um, artificial intelligence, they were, they used a lot of um, Solaris machines, and so I wanted to be able to do a lot of the stuff at home. So I started looking up what I could find to use on my Linux machine at home. That was actually kind of how the how-to got to developed. And my whole interest in open source in general was more of just a growth out of my years of using Linux and just how well it worked and how well I liked it.
0: And for people not familiar, can you describe the how-to document?
1: Like I was saying, it grew out of my studying of AI and looking for um, things I could use in my studies. And so I was just scouring the net, looking for all sorts of different software I could use. With Linux, in my studies of AI, it was, it was all sorts of stuff. Neural nets to, to make algorithm stuff to knowledge-based systems, and know, all sorts of stuff. Eventually, I realized that I had collected quite a bit of information, and there was nowhere else that at that time that they had collected all this so i thought i would st- put together a little how-to it started out as like a little mini how-to and i just kept adding to it over the years and it grew into what it is today
0: and basically the document is a-, a surveying of a wide variety of artificial intelligence and artificial life projects but what's fascinating is particularly now artificial life overlaps very heavily into intelligent agents do you have problems with the classification of various projects
1: yeah it's- always been kind of troubling um there's some things that are just always really blurred between evolutionary and AI, life and there's lots of things where like you know they're using evolutionary computations or genetic algorithms like to to grow neural nets. and so where did that go and i just always just kind of try to take my best stab at where it makes the most sense i thought about doing some sort of cross classification system before but <laughs> It seemed with a lot of effort at that
0: point, so it's always been kind of the question in a lot of ways. So it's just rather arbitrary based on my own decisions. There's a discussion about a number of projects that are artificial life esque, but the developers themselves don't call them artificial life projects. So, do you use what the developer describes it as as your primary frame of reference?
1: I use that a lot. If they don't
0: really kind of put
1: it in any category at all, of course, then I'll just pick some. You know, I pick what I think is best. If they see it primarily as, say, an artificial life area of research, even though it tends to, you know, it touches on a lot of other areas, I'll still I'll tend to put it into that category. Just, I try to general classification such that I don't have to i got quite a few projects stored in there and I don't want to it's hard to keep track of all of them I take the queue of the developers and thinking that would be the way it's going to evolve into the future so I think that it's always best just to kind of follow their cues.
0: Now for people not familiar with open source what do you think are the greatest benefits of the open source model? Well I always thought
1: one of the best benefits of open source model or free software model was kind of it's comparing it to um, into the to the sciences and just the sharing of information, the sharing of knowledge in sciences has always been what is one of the key aspects of boarding of sciences and source code is really kind of a a really concrete form of information. And so I always thought that the best way to, or one of the best ways to evolve, particularly the, the core components of a lot of the software, would be through that same kind of process. So it, I don't know, it always seemed to be kind of a fairly close fit in my head. how Open source and artificial intelligence research can also benefit. It seems like the, the source code is really part of the research output of
0: these projects. Open source dominates contemporary artificial life, but one of the problems with open source, which also is a problem with contemporary artificial life, is that it's very difficult to bring money into open source projects and consequently also artificial life projects including that problem perhaps what do you see are the greatest problems with open source? There is the ongoing problem of business strategies around strictly
1: open source software, I don't necessarily think that that is uh, really that the current models of how to do that are best ways of, do, of dealing with it. And the relation, relating it to science, as an example, companies that do a lot of hardcore science do a lot of it as a backdrop to developing things on top of that. The best model for open source, I think, a lot is for the people who develop larger things on top of it, just kind of all contribute together. I think a lot of the embedded companies, how they're getting together to work on the embedded versions of Linux, an example of how eventually it's going to play out. I mean, I think there'll be smaller players a lot along the lines Uh, of value-added services and that sort of thing. I don't think it's going to be a big cash cow like the proprietary software has been.
0: I guess the difficulty in any discussion with regards to open source is that people talk about Linux. And certainly your how-to document relates to a number of single, possibly, if they're lucky, maybe two or three additional developers' projects. But how do you see these projects as potential sources of funding and things like that? How does that reconcile with the open source and source model when you talk about research- Centric stuff. Like I said, the,
1: a lot of the software is going to be a byproduct or you know, one of the outputs of the research, just like the papers, you know, dissertations, and whatnot. The software is going to be another byproduct of that. And as uh, such, so you know, whether it's going to get some sort of long-term lifespan or or not is going to depend on you know, the relevancy and the importance of the, of the work. And then once you start kind of trying to get into a more of a commercial ideas, there's not a ton of commercial use of artificial life right now. There is some that I'm aware of, but it's rather limited and it's a little young to really kind of make any broad predictions of how it's all going to play out.
0: So what you're saying basically is it's the responsibility of the artificial life developers to make their software relevant.
1: Yes, to a great extent. I think that's just in general, even if there were commercial applications or proprietary applications, it would be up to them to make them relevant. And open source doesn't really change that a whole lot. It just changes the model, how that, I don't know, the payout, I guess or how that's going to work out if your software is open source, but it's, it becomes important enough people, they're going to want you to maintain it.
0: So in the next five years, how do you see open source changing? Well, I think open source is, in a broad strokes, is filling in the, the commodity areas
1: and... I don't think that's going to change it, and it's eventually going to start getting more and more important in those commodity areas. At some point, it's going to be lucrative for the commercial companies to compete, because it'll be a lot more lucrative to go into vertical markets. And as far as just kind of in relation to artificial intelligence, to really say, I mean, even to think about even just other kind of specific areas, it's pretty open. I, I guess my best guess would be based just on what's happened in the past. Essentially, it's going to be a way for just people to get together and, and work together on the projects and the sort of fields get more developed. There'll be more of these interworking between different groups. I haven't seen any really large growth out of that. I mean, I thought at one point the swarm system out of Santa Fe would be a pretty big nodal point for a lot of groups, but it actually hasn't really seemed to develop in that way.
0: What more would you like to see with the artificial life and the artificial intelligence communities?
1: Speaking up the cuff I like what I personally I guess like to see would be more Getting together of the really abstract or academic stuff with some of the more commercial-oriented things. One of the big topics in a lot of circles is the the differentiation between what is done like in game artificial intelligence versus what is done in academic artificial intelligence. I think there's lots of things to be of interest when getting those two things together. I think we're getting to the point where some of that stuff might actually be possible since we're getting into the realm of multi-core CPUs, which should open up some interesting possibilities for artificial intelligence in games. And in other applications as well, I think that would be... Getting some more practical applications, I think, would be very interesting.
0: Any final thoughts for the interview, John?
1: No, not really. Just anybody listening those of any happens to look at my how-to and knows are something that's not on it, let me know. I also try to... I have a section at the bottom of things that I've lost track of over the years and happen to know of any information about those. That would also be
0: nice. Well, as someone who has a project on your how-to list, John, I've got to thank you personally for all the interesting traffic that the how-to list generates. It should be worth noting as well that the how-to list is syndicated widely. Can you talk a little bit about that? When I originally
1: put it together, I put it, or I donated or, you know, added it to the Linux documentation project, and that, well, not as big as it once was. It's still as, as widely circulated and it's translated, and I know... My how to's been translated to at least a few, you know, five or six different languages. And as a whole, the how, those are people who have contacted me and asked me about it. And as a whole, I know the how to's been translated into more than that. And I think it's been, it used to be, anyways, published in books and things. It got up there pretty wide for a while, and I know I've seen links to my stuff all over the place. I would say the, the LDP was probably the biggest initial thing, and then probably just as people found my source, they read links to it here and there. I've, in different little AI sources around.
0: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to chat with you this evening, John.
1: Thank you.